0: Good morning, everyone. Oh, hey, a response. Uh, my name is Trevin Hoot, and as you, as he just said, I'm a member of this church still. I've been a member of the PCA for about five years now, and I've spent, I guess, the past like three of those five years away from this church, uh, which is kind of sad because I love you guys. This morning, we're going to talk about... The state of the world and the state of missions. Uh, This world can be a pretty messed up place, right? This world is full of pain and suffering. This world is full of people that oppress other people. This world is full of lost and dying people. People that need to hear the word of God. This world is full of people who use up creation rather than steward it. This world is full of people that oppress the poor, that steal from those who are already downtrodden, who take the weak and stomp on them. This world is a really sad place. And this world is full of people that need to hear the word of God. The people that need to, that are hungry and thirst for water that will give, make them into an everlasting stream or spring. This world is full of thirsty people clutching for things that cannot satisfy and perhaps the most depressing part of this world is when the church ignores this need or when the church, even worse, contributes to the evil of this world. This morning, we're going to read from the book of Jonah. This book is my, one of my favorite books in the old, entire Old Testament. It's a story of a really awful prophet. It's a, it's a really simple story. A story that even a child can understand, but also a deep and complex story full of humor, full of irony, full of all sorts of great things. Uh, And you might wonder, why is Trevin starting a new book with us today? He can't possibly finish this. Well, it's for the very simple and profound reason that I've been studying this book a lot in seminary, so you guys are just going to have to deal with it. (laughs) I'm going to read from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from his raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come and preach before these people that I love. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is strong to teach, Lord. Thank you that you have promised your Holy, that your Holy Spirit will come down whenever your word is preached, Lord. Thank you that this is not my people, but your people. Thank you that it's you that teach them, not me, Lord. Please use my tongue. Please speak through me, Lord. Please use my stammering words to... Pour out your truth on the, upon this people, Lord. And help none of us leave here unchanged, Lord. Help us all go out with a desire to go out into the world and serve you rather than flee from your presence like Jonah did, Lord. Please open up our hearts to hear your word. Please open up my mouth to preach it. In your name we pray, amen. This passage is about... The nations. This passage is about a man called to go out into the world and preach God's gospel. See, when we think of missions, we tend to think of it as a New Testament thing, something that Jesus told His church to do. But it wasn't something that the Old Testament told it, that the Old Testament taught its people to do. But missions is something that is ingrained into the people of God ever since God set them apart. God told Abraham that he would make him into a nation so that he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. God commanded the Israelites to care for the sojourners passing through their country so that the entire world would see them and know that no other nation has righteous laws like it and turn to worship Yahweh. And the book of Jonah makes that most clear. God was in the business of saving the nations. God was in the business of saving even the wicked nations of the world, because Nineveh was a wicked nation. The evil of Nineveh had gone up before the face of the Lord, and it sank to Him. He hated the evil of the world, uh, the evil of Nineveh. He was he, God is not pleased with the evil of our world, but. We have a God who isn't in the business of destroying the world and starting over every time we sin. And praise God for that because he has been so merciful and kind to us. God is in the business of saving the world and restoring it. But our main question that we're going to ask today that this book answers for us is, How can God save the world if his people ignore or contribute to the evil of this world? How can God do that? This world, or the first answer to this question, well, we have to ask another question. Why do God's people do that? Why do God's people ignore or contribute to the evil of this world? Well, the answer is sometimes the prophets God calls hate the people God calls them to. Sometimes the prophets that God calls hate the people that God calls them to. Um, God called Jonah out to go to Nineveh. God said, Arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah did the first part of that command. He did arise. But he fled to the opposite side of the world. No one really knows where Tarshish is. Some people believe that Tarshish was on the coast of Spain. And while Nineveh is in present-day Iraq. Rather than going to Iraq like God called him to... Jonah tried to get as far away from the presence of the Lord that he possibly could. And before we go on any further, we must ask the question, what, who is Nineveh? Nineveh was, a kind, was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria was the great enemy of Israel, the northern kingdom. It was known as an exceedingly wicked place. It was known as an awful place to live. The prophet Nahum in Nahum 3.1 says, let me find it, "'Woe to the bloody city of Nineveh, all full of lies and plunder, and no end to the prey. It was full of people that lied, who sold people into slavery, who forced people to be prostitutes, where the strong oppressed the weak and took advantage of them as much as possible.'" It was an evil city, and it is understandable why Jonah would be, might be afraid to go to there. Even Phoclides, a Greek poet, knew that a prudent city is, on a rock is better than stupid Nineveh, which has been destroyed. The entire world knew that Nineveh was an awful place to be. It wasn't just the people of Israel. But in Genesis 10, it lists Nineveh as one of the first cities ever created and one of the greatest cities of the world. It was full of people, it was full of life, it was full of culture, it was full of cattle. God cared about Nineveh and he called it in Jonah 3 an exceedingly great city to the Lord. God cared about Nineveh because Nineveh, even though it was so wicked and awful and heinous, it was full of people made in God's image and he was not going to let Nineveh go. That is why God called Jonah to preach out against Nineveh. But God also called them to preach him to preach out a a, less, a sermon of judgment on Nineveh, a sermon that says, "I believe that his words later were accurate that it will be destroyed if it does not turn from its ways." Now, to our modern ears, that sounds like a really judgmental, awful thing to say. But God, whenever he sends out a prophet to speak out against the nation, to speak out against his people in Judah, to speak out against Egypt, to speak out against Israel, he rarely does it just because, just to say that there's no hope. He always does it to say, if you turn away from your sins, you can have a relationship with a God of the universe who can truly satisfy. God called out against Nineveh because he cared about Nineveh. And sometimes we wonder, how can a loving God uh, call out judgment against people and threaten them with destruction? It's because God saw Nineveh. God cared about the the people of Nineveh. And God especially cared about the poor of Nineveh. The poor of Nineveh were the prey that the rich preyed upon. The poor of Nineveh were the ones that were taken advantage of and sold into slavery. The poor of Nineveh were the people lied to. God cared about those people and he loved them so much that he would overthrow the city in order to try to save them from the evil of the people there. God is a wrathful God because he is a loving God. And when he sees people he cares about getting beaten and downtrodden, he gets mad. He does not like that. And Jonah fleed away from the presence of the Lord. Why did Jonah flee? We're not told in this passage yet, but we can guess. Maybe Jonah was afraid. You know, an exceedingly wicked city, you think, oh, they wouldn't want to hear a message of judgment. He might have been afraid from his life. He might have been afraid of the difficulty of the journey. But that's not why we're told that he went, that he fled. We actually find out the answer in Jonah chapter 4, where it says... But it displeased Jonah exceedingly that God would spare the city of Nineveh. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah fled Nineveh. Because he hated Nineveh so much that he wanted it to fall into, ju- into judgment. He wanted God to destroy Nineveh, and he didn't want to offer them a chance at salvation. Friends, that is passionate and true hatred. To see someone, that you, see someone made in God's image continue down the path towards destruction and say nothing about it. When you hold the words of life, that is true hatred. Imagine if when Woody called me up and said, Trevin, will you come preach the word of God to me? And I stood up and said, no, I'd really rather not. How did that make you feel? It confused you. You're wondering, wait a second, is he serious? Is he really not going to preach the word of God to me? Is he really? Did he really drive all the way from St. Louis just to do that? Trevin, you had one job to do. <laughs> Why did you not preach the word? You would feel betrayed. You would feel angry. And you have every right to do that. Because as a minister of God's word to you, my job is to bring the word of life to you. My job is to share God's gospel with you because you are hungry for the word of life. And uh, that's exactly what Jonah did. He betrayed him. And if I have the word of life and don't preach it to you, then I'm not acting out my call as a preacher of the gospel. And you know what? God has given you that same call. When our Lord ascended into heaven, he called his people out to go and make disciples of all nations. You have been given the same message that I have been given. You have been called to go out into your schools. You've been called to go out into the markets. You've been called to go out into your communities, into your business, You've been called to go out into this neighborhood, this very neighborhood, and preach the gospel. You've been called to go out into North Baton Rouge and preach the gospel. Many of you have been called this summer to go to St. Louis to preach the gospel. You've been called overseas to preach the gospel. And if you don't preach that gospel, you are running away from the message that you've been given the message of hope, the message greater than even Jonah's message, which is that Jesus has come and died for us and rose again, that we can be saved from our sins. If you shirk that responsibility, you're hating people with the same hatred that Jonah has. And and the gospel message isn't always necessarily done with words. The gospel message calls us to be with those who mourn, even when it feels awkward and like we can't fix anything. It's called, the gospel calls us and gives us the ability to mourn with those who mourn. The gospel calls us to speak out against our employers when they're doing a shady business deal and act differently even when we are afraid of losing our job because the gospel allows us to fear God rather than man. The gospel calls us to listen to... Uh, our brothers and sisters, when we ignore the cries of our black brothers and sisters for justice, for the wickedness that our grandfathers and our fathers perpetrated, and whose systems which they built upon their backs, that we ourselves thrive upon, when we ignore them and say that they are are overreacting to something that happened a long time ago, and when we say that they just need to get over 300 years of slavery and 90 years of segregation, And when we say that we love black people, we just don't like their culture, which really means that we say that we love black people as long as they look and act and think like white people, which means that we don't actually love black people. We just act like tan white people. And when we think that when we do all of these things, we are despising a people made in God's image and hating with the same passionate racism that Jonah had with Nineveh. And the God God of the Bible calls us to repentance for our evil and for our father's evil. and might best be shared just by listening and seeking to right wrongs rather than seeking to convince a hurting people that their grievances are small and that we are always in the right. And yet we are called to do this not in shame. We are called to do this because Christ has taken care of our shame and frees us to live in godly repentance. And the church should be leading the way in this because we know that we are forgiven. And I saw this at the last General Assembly that the church has collectively said that we want to repent of our evil and our evil of the past. And that's something that we need to live out. Because if we don't, we are shirking our responsibility as preachers of the gospel. And why do we do this? It's not because Nineveh is them. And we are the prophets like Jonah. We are the Ninevites. We are the people that God called out of Nineveh and into righteous living. God, we are the people saved by God's grace. We are called out of the wicked nation to make a new nation. A nation that is passionate about caring for people and passionate about justice and mercy. Uh, we do this because Christ has saved us. Christ has given us new hearts and given us a message of the gospel that we are called to go out and preach. And if we ignore that message, we are not working as prophets of the gospel. Not prophets that we've been given a special revelation, but prophets that the word of the Lord has come to us and we need to preach it. Our second answer to the question of how can God save the world if his people ignore or contribute to the evil of the world, we, our second answer is that God hurls his tempest to catch his people's attention, to catch our attention. Because Jonah tried to flee from the face of the Lord. He ended up on a ship thinking, oh, hey, this ship happened to be leaving for Java right at the right time, thinking that everything was going well and he was going to flee from the mission that God gave him. He ended up on a ship with a bunch of pagan people and immediately went down into the hold so he can escape from them. But God was not done with Jonah yet. It says in Jonah that God hurled a mighty wind and created a tempest. A tempest so huge that it threatened to break apart their ship. And these experienced sailors were terrified for their lives because they knew death when they saw it. They've seen tempests before, and they knew that their ship was going to flounder unless some god were to save them. They didn't know the gods. These guys were pagans. They cried out to their pantheon of gods, hoping that one of them might listen to them, and one of them might save them. It's funny that this pagan captain tell, wakes up Jonah and says, What are you doing? Why are you not crying out to, this, to your god? Why did a pagan captain have to call out to a prophet of the Lord to pray to God? That's often my question too. So Jonah is found out. Jonah is found out that it is his fault that, it is, that this storm is upon them. And he gives out his great confession in verse 9. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. These prop, or these, he was saying to these sailors, You cry out to these gods that you don't know, but I know the true God. I know the God of heaven who made all of this. There is no room for other gods in his throne room. And I know him. And he says that he fears them. But it's not the Jonah that fears, the world, fears God. It says that the men and the sailors were exceedingly afraid. Can you imagine these sailors just looking at Jonah in the midst of this tempest and saying, Oh my God, are you some sort of idiot? You say that you know the God of the universe and that you are fleeing from him? What? (laughs) How can you say you fear this God if you do everything he told you not to do? It was the sailors that actually feared the God that he doesn't that Jonah said that he knew. The sailors didn't know this God, but they knew to fear him. They knew to respect him. And now when we say fear, when the Bible uses fear in talking about in talking about God, he isn't saying fear as, a, as one might think of Say, a fear of heights, or fear of needles, or as I fear zombies. It is a fear that is deep respect and reverence. It's kind of like that fear, in that if you were to fear your boss, and he were to walk in, you wouldn't make fun of him. You would jump whenever he calls for for your attention, and do whatever he tells you to do. You would respect him, and you would care what he has to say, and respect his attention. That's not how Jonah was behaving. The sailors were behaving in that way. And so Jonah says that in order to, for their lives to be saved, you have to throw him overboard and into the sea in order to, for the storm to stop. He's, I don't believe that this is what God called Jonah to do. I believe that this was some last-ditch effort of Jonah to finally escape from the presence of God and not have to preach to the Ninevites. Um, because God throughout the Bible does not demand human sacrifice. God demands repentance. God demands that his people turn back to them away from his sin. And God, Jonah had no promise that he would be safe from the storm at this point. He uh, tries to escape into death away from the word of God. To escape from the mission that God has him on. But God doesn't allow that. You have to ask yourself, why did God go through all this trouble for Jonah? There are plenty of other prophets in Israel, ones that would be faithful to God, ones that would go and actually want and desire to preach to Nineveh. Why did God follow Jonah out into the middle of the sea, hurling a tempest just to bring Jonah back? It's because God was in the business not only of saving Nineveh, God was in the business of changing Jonah's heart and saving Jonah. God was in the business of drawing his people away from his sin. And God would not let Jonah continue down the path that he was on because that path led to destruction. God loved Jonah too much not to send the tempest his way. God loved Jonah so much that he was willing to hurl this judgment at him just to catch his attention, just to draw him to himself. And so we wonder for ourselves, why do we go through trials? For Jonah, this tempest was his fault and as a result of his trials, as a result of his sin. And he kind of deserved it. But the Bible makes it clear that not every trial is as a result of our sin. We think of Job, who was given all the worst trials any man could possibly face in order that his faith might shine through and the world could see what kind of God he served. We think of the blind man in John 9, where Jesus clearly states that this man was not blind from birth because of his sin, but so that the world can see the power of Jesus and they will give glory to God. We think of James that says that we should rejoice when we receive testing because we can know that God is using that as a loving father to strengthen our faith and grow us in character. So we know that God, no matter the trial and no matter the storm, it's not, a God, it's not that he is some random tyrant throwing out judgment for every little sin. And he is not, this trial is not by blind faith which, you know, we can't control. This trial was sent by a loving God who cares for you, who cares for you as his child, who wants what's best for you. His trial was sent by a God who weeps with us when we weep and who rejoices with us when we rejoice. This trial was sent by a God who is in the business of making all things new and who is reversing the effects of the fall Uh, to to bring about his kingdom here on earth. He is reversing the effects of the fall one person at a time. And we can trust this God to save us. And we can trust him that he knows what's best because he is a loving father. And I know that this congregation has been through the midst of a terrible trial. But we also know that we have a God, and what other God is there like this, that knows exactly how we feel. A God who saw and cared for his son while he was facing a terrible execution and shameful execution on the cross. A God who has experienced all the same suffering and hardship that we have experienced. A God who knows exactly how we feel because he has been there and he has suffered through it with us. He's a God who cares about us and who will not let us go even though things are so terrible. Um, But... This trial right here was Jonah's fault. He didn't, he didn't fear, really fear the Lord no matter what he said. And we know that he did not fear the Lord because he did not do what God called him to do. Jonah was using this tempest to sanctify his, his child whom he loved. And God sanctifies his children whether they want it or not. And so there's an easy way to learn the Christian values and Christian virtues to grow more and more like Christ. And there's a hard way. And so we want to submit to God and trust him and follow him and fear him. Because there's an easy way or a hard way. Jonah turned to, chose the hard way and he suffered for it. But God still cared about him and loved him. And our next answer we see to that question we've asked at the beginning is that God saves his people in spite of their sin. We saw that Jonah would rather die than repent of his evil hatred, his evil racism, and to repent of him shirking and running away from his duty as a prophet of the Lord. The sailors, on the other hand, wanted to save him. The sailors rowed as hard as they can so that they can save their lives without having to murder this man. Because throwing him into the sea in the middle of a tempest, that would be death, and they knew it. The sailors knew in their hearts what was right, and they didn't want to sin against God by throwing him into the sea. But eventually, they had no other choice. They had no other word to go on except for the word of this wicked prophet that God wants him to throw him into the sea. And so they did the only thing they could, which was to do that. And they made this great confession in verse, um, in verse 14. O Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done just as it pleased you. We do not know you, O oh Lord. We do not know what you want. But we know that you are a God that is righteous and just. And that you call sinners to repentance. So please do not take a, take our lives because of this. Because we have no other option and we don't know what else to do. That's what these men are saying. And they, the verse, you have done just as it pleased you, can also be translated as, you do whatever you please. And what was it that God was pleased to do in this, were, in this moment? God was pleased to save the sailors. Because as soon as they tur- picked Jonah up and hurled him into the sea, all of a sudden this mighty tempest stilled and it stopped. And while the sailors were terrified of the storm... Now they know what truly to be afraid of. Now they know who they should really fear. They were afraid of the storm and now they know that they should be afraid of the God of the storms. The one who pursues sinners and calls them to repentance. Now they know who to fear. They, they fear the God, of he, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And they repented and called out to God and made sacrifices to them. Can you imagine the priests? All of a sudden, this motley crew of sailors arrives on the shore of Joppa and immediately go into the first synagogue that they can find, trying to find out more about this Yahweh because they don't know anything about him. Imagine being the priest and hearing their testimony and saying, Oh, we were pagans before, but then this prophet came on board, and he sinned against God, and we are about, we about to die, so we killed him, and then the storm stopped, but now we want to worship Yahweh. <laughs> that would be really confusing. <laughs> That's not a testimony I would want to hear as a, as a priest of the Lord back then. But God uses Jonah's sin to save even these sailors. Because God was in the business of saving sinners. God was in the business of saving Nineveh. God was in the business of saving Jonah. And God was also in the business of saving sinner, or saving these sailors. God was pursuing them just as hard as he was pursuing the Ninevites and just as hard as he was pursuing Jonah. And so we can know... That God uses even wicked things to do his work. And so we have to worship him because he is a powerful God. He did this with Joseph in Genesis. Using the wicked actions of his brothers to save many people in Egypt. And most of all he did this with Jesus. Who the religious leaders of his day wanted to murder because of their own selfish pride and ambition. He wanted to murder they wanted to murder Jesus but God used even that to save the entirety of his people in many nations. God uses the wicked things of our even our own wickedness to save people. And so this has two applications. For those who are hard-hearted, do not think you can use that you can successfully rebel against God because he is strong and he is able to use even your intentional wicked actions to do his work and save his people. And for you who are soft-hearted, do not think you are too, too much of a failure for God to use. Do not think that you have screwed up so much that God can't possibly use you or that you have messed up so many times that God can't be bless people through you because he can. He is strong to do that and he has promised to do that. And we can't understand this right now. We don't know what actions will be used by God to save his people and to advance his kingdom here on earth. We cannot possibly know this on this side of eternity. There are so many mysteries where we just have to bow down before God and say, I have no idea what you are doing, but praise God, you are God and I am not. And so our call here is to worship him like the sailors did, even though he was a mystery to them, and serve him faithfully and pursue him. Because he is a good God who will save us by any means necessary, just like he saved Jonah. And so we began begun this sermon with a question. How can God save the nations and the world when people ignore or even contribute to the evil of this world? And we found that, you know, sometimes the prophets God calls hate the people he calls them to. And that's one of the reasons why we contribute to the evil of this world. But we also found that God hurls his tempest to catch our attention and turn us back to himself. And we also saw that God saves his people even in spite of their sin, even in spite of their wickedness, and even in spite of their racism. And so we find the main answer to this question, that God saves the world by relentlessly pursuing his people in his love, no matter what. He will chase them down to the ends of the world to draw them to himself. But we're left with the question, what about Jonah? He was tossed into the swirling maw of death. That was a death sentence. And there's still three more chapters of Jonah. Was the story over at that point? No. Because in verse 17, after Jonah was tossed into the sea, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Even though Jonah was tossed into death and stayed in the belly of Sheol three days, God still used him, coughing him up onto the shore for the redemption of Nineveh so that his people can be saved. This is the sign of Jonah that Christ was talking about. That even though Christ died and was in death for three days, he would rise again so that God's people can be saved. No matter the wickedness that was done to him, He would rise again, and God's plan will work. God will save the nations, and he will do it even even when we ignore his call. So friends, do not ignore his call. Do not flee from the presence of the Lord. Thank you.